I I love the strange people who inhabit our strange society, this rich tapestry around us. So yeah, it's just a cool place to be. Isn't it just? And that place is called Perth. You're listening to the untold stories of Perth, and this is a special barefaced edition. So, hi, hi. And as I'm going down the highway backwards, my skirt is up here. But still I'm thinking, how, how am I going to get someone's attention? Just there, just boxer shorts on. I got a visit from two resplendently clad policemen. <laughs> I took the pen that I keep on the dash to write down the rego plates of cars that are speeding. And I just absolutely lose it. And I start screaming, I say, Trisha, get your feet away from me. And then Stephen Fry says, good evening, good evening, good evening, good evening, good evening. And the show begins. My name is Andrea Gibbs. I'm the co-founder of Bareface Stories, a live storytelling show that's been running in Perth since 2010. It's a platform for those who surrender to the chaos of being human. Raw, honest, self-aware, real individuals just up on stage wearing their bloody beating hearts on their sleeves. They're armed only with a real-life story to share and they share some very real moments from their lives. Some happy, some sad... Some absolutely terrifying. And for the next three episodes of Untold Stories of Perth, you'll hear barefaced stories that take place in the city of Perth. The first story is from Dr Michelle Johnston describing the emergency department at the Royal Perth Hospital where she works. She treats people at their most vulnerable and once in a while animalistic and she shares what it's like to come face to face with a wild rhinoceros of a human. Keep listening because on the other side of this story, I get a little bit more personal with Michelle. I called her up to find out more about the place she works and it's got a very interesting history. First though, this is Dr. Michelle Johnston recorded live at Bareface Stories. So I want to share with you tonight what it's like to come face to face with a rhinoceros. Um... I'm an emergency department doctor, um, but the thing is, I kind of don't really look like one. I'm kind of scrawny. I have this like really ratty, normally, fake blonde hair and I pull it up in a ponytail. You know, I wear scrubs. So, you know, the the scrubs, they're like the communist blue pyjamas that make me look like a, a little lost policeman, but without all the fun stuff hanging from my belt. And um, so it's, it's, it's not an easy gig, emergency medicine. It's kind of a tough place to be. Um, but it was much tougher when I was first starting. When I was a, a junior registrar, a trainee, and I used to have to come into work, and I'd know I'd be responsible for an entire emergency department overnight on my own, and I would drive in, and I would have this howling, gnawing terror about going in and working and looking after all these patients. And what I'd do is I'd come in and I was, you know, kind of almost shaking and I'd get there to the department and the doors would whoosh open and I'd see this this heaving, seething mass of humanity and there's smells and there's noises, there's alarms going off, there's policemen milling around, like the proper policemen, like not the little weedy one in the corner pretending. Um, and And... It, it was frightening, and all these people, and they, they, people on trolleys, and I could watch them, and their heads would turn to me in slow motion, 
um, going, come on, you know, we want to be saved, we want to be fixed. And I, and I was so terrified, I had to immediately just back off, walk back out and slam myself, lock myself in the toilet, like opposite where the emergency department doors were. And I would just sit there, frozen with fear. And I would look on the back of the... I'd just sit there, like, read the graffiti on the back of the door for, like, as long as I possibly could. And, it, like, it's normal graffiti in a, in a public toilet, like people scratching someone loves someone scratched in there. And it's kind of one of those toilets that... Um, like the great wash of humanity the public use. So there's like smears of poo down the wall and there's unthinkable fluids splashed around everywhere. And I think that's kind of a weird place to be declaring your love, but who am I to be judging that? Um, but eventually I would, I would make my way back in and I would go back in and I would face, face the music, face the department and, and work. And eventually things started to get better and I started to get a little bit better at the job. But one of the hardest things we have to deal with in emergency is the methamphetamine scourge. I don't know how many of you have seen people in the grip of meth, um, but it can certainly turn them into wild animals. Um, and particularly vulnerable people, you have meth and, and they get this roaring, adrenaline-soaked surge of rage. They turn into these animals. Um, their, their pupils dilate up and their blood pressure goes up through the roof and they get tortured by this paranoid psychosis. And what happens, they get dragged in. They get dragged into our department. Um, and there's people everywhere and noise and they're dragged in, often in handcuffs. We have these fantastic security staff, like there are big guys with big guns and big tats and black gloves. And they have one for each arm and one for each leg and one for the head. And my job is to leap on the patient like a gazelle and put in a drip and sedate them, put them off to sleep, and they'll often sleep for days, and, and it just brings it all down, um, and so they can, they, they, the drug can wear off, because that's safe for them, it's safe for us, and it's safe for all you. You know, we have a duty of care to these patients, and I started to get kind of good at it. You know, I started to get kind of good. I, you know, I can do this. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I got a little bit cocky, a little bit, you know, a bit of banter, a bit of jokes, you know, as I leapt upon patient to patient um, and I was getting kind of good at it until one day I wasn't and one day I going in to see a patient I'm going in I'm reading the triage notes and it says this guy's taken some stuff he's a bit anxious wants to talk and I open up the cubicle the other curtains and I walk in and there's this man and he doesn't look anything like the rhinoceros he's well-dressed. He's got a nicely ironed shirt. He's got decent pants. He's got pants. That's kind of <laughs> unusual for us in ED. I'm like, yes, um, he's kind of handsome. Um, and anyway, so we're chatting away and talking about things and I'm asking his history. Um, and it starts, we develop a really nice rapport with this guy and it starts to almost get a little bit flirty. And, um, and um, <laughs> sorry, I've got to do the um, so uh, so I'm ch chatting to this guy and then uh, all of a sudden while we're talking, he starts to lean in towards me and I think, oh my God, he's going to kiss me. And he starts leaning into me a little bit further, a little bit slowly. And I see him and his pupils are as big as dinner plates. He's got this oily, sweaty sheen on his pale face. And he's coming towards me really slowly and he reaches out his hand 
and he gently cups the back of my head. He moves me in closer and then he clamps his mouth over mine. This is not a kiss. He starts to bite me. He starts to chew on me. And I can taste blood, and I don't know whether it's my blood or whether it's his blood. He, his mouth stays clamped on mine. He starts to pull me to the ground. My mouth is like a flame. I think of him as this jackal, this lion, and I am being dragged to the ground slowly. I cannot scream. I cannot make a noise. And I am going down to the floor. Later on, I will feel nothing but shame and humiliation. I've done all the mandatory online training. I've done my management of aggression. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to like shove him in the nose or kick him in the groin or scream as loud as I can and I do none of those things. I am dragged to the ground and he keeps biting. I cannot make a noise. Eventually, people run in and they pull him off me and they ask, are you okay? I am not. They ask me, are you, were you terrified? I wasn't terrified. I was ashamed. I was humiliated. I was embarrassed. I was, I was taken off work. I, left, I, I was moved away and I, you know, I, I was taken away from there. And I wondered if I would ever come back and work. The thing is about an emergency department and emergency medicine is not, the most important thing is not how smart you are, how strong you are, how, how big you are, how fast, how, what a good diagnostician you are. It's about love. And that department, the emergency department, amongst my comrades and my colleagues is so full of love and there is so much love for humanity, love for the fascination, the craziness of the human body that I did come back and I'm still there in that wild zoo of love. Thank you. Dr Michelle Johnson recorded live at Bareface Stories in Perth. And our storytellers really only have about six to eight minutes up on stage to share their yarn. I was really interested to find out more about where Michelle works and what it's really like in that area of Perth. And so I got her on the blower. Michelle, you've worked in Perth City for 30 years. Do you think that you've seen the best and the worst of it? Oh, look, absolutely. I think um, seeing things on the extreme is kind of like a de rigueur for me. And I think particularly with the job that I do, you know, we get a lot of intense presentations that are not necessarily always very positive. But on the flip side, we also see all everything that comes from all over the state. From a trauma perspective, we see a lot of, we, we see, the you know, the greatness in humanity, the strength, the, the, um, the, the care for others. Um, so yes, I would absolutely agree. Very fortunate in seeing both the very best and the very worst. You must deal with families as well. I once wrote a story about what we call the distressed relatives room, which is down the end of a corridor, uh, and the long walk down to that uh, room when we have to tell families and loved ones that something terrible has happened to their closest person in their life and you know you pull the rug out from under them and how 
how how you never quite know what's going to be behind that door and how people are going to react. No matter what life, a walk of life people are from, they always have others that they love and care for and would do anything for. And it's a very potent place of love and connection, that room. And I always find it incredibly challenging, obviously bearing bad news, but also very rewarding and uplifting to be part of that in a, fa a family environment and, and just to see those strengths of human connection. In life, there's much more connection than disconnection, even though it doesn't sometimes seem like that on the surface. Going right back in time, Royal Perth Hospital was opened in 1855. What do you know about its history? This land was a vibrant, active, uh, rich cultural place long, long before Royal Perth was there. It's a quote from a local writer, Stephen Kinane, who wrote this book called Shadow Lines. He said, they are always with us, the people of other eras that exist alongside our own, quietly watching the new psyche of the city take form as the world they inhabited is redrawn, torn down, reclaimed and redeveloped. And that sort of felt like that way with thinking about Royal Perth's history in that there are just so many layers beneath, you know, obviously the um, Noongar people being here for 45,000 years and then going back even further. This whole Perth area, darling, Scarp is some of the oldest rock, um, you know, on earth, billions of years old. It's quite incredible. Anyway, Royal Perth, of course, 1855, well, it started being built in 1850, but because we were, we thought we were so clever over here and didn't have convicts. That was, I think, that was our advertising um, slogan for getting people over to Perth in those early colonial days: no convicts. Um, but we figured we couldn't actually build something ambitious as the colonial hospital without convict labour. So they all sort of came over, but the build was just hopeless. Not enough money. Badly drawn, badly designed. It took five years to build the building on this site. Obviously, it was tense beforehand and. Moved Moved apparently from brothel to to you know in, uh, but then when it established itself on this particular site, the Royal Perth site, 1855, the doors properly opened, and then of course from then on it was overrun pretty much yearly by poor budgets and bad governance and people doing the wrong thing and infighting and fights with the newspapers. So I think Royal Perth, its culture was established very very early on. Um, but in the same way, it's culture of, of having people who work there who deeply committed to the, the cause of looking after the community's health were there. And it's, it's, uh, it's been an extraordinary place to work, look into its history and watch it develop. There would be a lot of people who work in Perth City who are completely unaware of the ground on which they walk has all of these layers of stories stacked upon each other. Your research, has it changed the way that you think about the place you work? Absolutely, absolutely, because all of a sudden you, you see things not in the eye blink of history that you're in, but as a as exactly as you said, these layers, these strata, bones buried underground, lives that were lived, battles, etc. You know, you're just a passing moment in a place. It's vitally important for us where we are because of Indigenous history. You know, for example, the park next to Rawpert often has a lot of people sort of sleeping rough there, but it's much more than sleeping rough. It was that area was a rich, rich cultural site for many, many times, a meeting place that had all sorts of uh, rich cultural parts to it. So if you just took took the place as one photographic moment in time with people coming perhaps, you know, under the influence or, you know, fighting or whatever you would you, you, you know, you, you would be very um, blinkered and biased uh, rather than seeing it in the big 
long historical picture, these places being meeting points and of great cultural significance. My eyes have been very much opened about what it means to have a building on a, a very culturally significant site. What do you love about Perth City? I love the the space and the sun, but I also love the, you know, the, the strange people who inhabit our strange society, this rich tapestry around us. So yeah, it's it's just a cool place to be. Thank you so much for sharing your story and here's to creating more on this beautiful land on which we live. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Andrea. Big thanks to you for tuning in to this special episode of Untold Stories of Perth, commissioned by the City of Perth and produced by Bareface Stories. I'm the co-founder, Andrea Gibbs. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to know more information, head to barefaced.com.au. The music that you've heard on this episode, it's by a local band, Odette Mercy and her Solar Atomics. <laughs>